The homeless is still homeless, the poor is still poor, yet we find billions of dollars to fund senseless war. And yes, we're fighting terrorism, what about the quiet racism, dividing among ourselves, somebody's crying for help, heaven is listening. Heaven is watching. Heaven knows. And they may not play this on the radio. Cause the devil don't want you to know. Welcome, 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 welcome. I'm your host, Bishop L.J. Guillory. Welcome to the Ombudsman Press Show. We have a very heart show for you today. Uh, we intend once again to do the show with integrity, uh, but more importantly, we intend to bring the truth. And uh, please uh, uh, question the information that I bring to you. Uh, go do your research uh, and then go back and listen to the show. And when you fact find, you'll find that we always uh, tell the truth, and we bring the truth to you. Tonight, one of my guests uh, has been a veteran in the United States uh, military. Uh, he served his country, and he'll tell you where he served and which branch he served in. And uh, imagine coming back after serving your, your, your country and being treated with disrespect, Many of you, uh, as you know, we've done shows in the past uh, on the Vietnam War. We've done uh, shows on the uh, government and how it treated our veterans uh, when they came back from war and uh, what we did to expose the corruption in not giving the uh, uh, veterans their full benefits. Because many of you didn't know that veterans could serve and then based on an interview that they have when they release from uh, the military, uh, they could be denied many of their benefits. So, uh, you know, it's important for us to tell you what's going on, but it's important for you to go back and fact find so that we can do something about it because that's what's more important uh, for us to make changes. Uh, Mr. Tyree Childs, a veteran uh, in our United States veteran system. Uh, Mr. Childs, welcome to the Ombudsman Press Show. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, thanks for having me. So, um, as you know, uh, I am not just a bishop. I'm also the Ombudsman General. And uh, we do, uh, we conduct our investigations, and but we also bring to public through our newspaper, through our magazine, and through this radio show, those uh, investigations that need to be exposed to the public. Uh, I want you to first uh, tell my my audience when you first enlisted in the United States military. Okay, 
I was actually drafted into the United States Army back in March 27, 1968. I was just a 20-year-old. Okay. And I... So you say you were drafted into the Army, so like Muhammad Ali and others, um, they commanded that you go and serve, correct? Correct. Okay. And how how many years did you serve in the military? I actually did 21 months. I did a year in Vietnam and the the other part stateside. Okay. Can you explain the hell of the year in the Vietnam? Because a lot of people, they don't understand. Uh, It was a very political war, but many people don't understand the psychological damage that was done to a young man like yourself going in and going through what you went through and the psychological damage that was done seeing the things that you've seen and how you were treated when you come back. Why don't you explain, take this time to explain your story. Okay, I I, um, I was just a uh, young man just getting out of high school in the city of Los Angeles, and I was uh, just started, you know, getting out. And then I got a draft notice saying, greetings from the United States. Uh, so I had to report up to, up at uh, up on Broadway in downtown Los Angeles. With a lot of thought, I thought about it over and over again. And as a matter of fact, I showed up with a lot of re- reluctance to really show up, but I showed up anyway. And um, that's when my journey started. I went to Fort Ord, California for basic training. And then after I finished basic training, I went to AIT. So uh, that's advanced individual training. And after completion of my advanced individual training, I was sent to Fort Knox, Kentucky for a short spell. And then I was sent off to Vietnam with with less than 30 days notice. And I I, uh, I appealed it, and, and um, they still were still trying to send me with less than than 30 days leave. So I just took the orders that they gave me, but I didn't I didn't show up in the, the time frame. I actually was was AWOL for a while, but I figured if I was going to Vietnam, I didn't know if I was going to come back or not. So I wanted to see my family before I left. And so when I showed up at Fort Lewis, Washington, I was sent to Vietnam. And when I arrived in Vietnam, I came in in the middle of the night, and it was really a different atmosphere. You could tell you was in a strange place. And and then I was just put out to um, work at the tank farm. I had long been posted the tank farm where I was handling all of the fuel in the Third Corps area. In other words, it's like a big, large oil refinery, like a shell oil. So my job was receiving barges on the river and transferring the barges from the river to the pipeline, to the to the tanks that we had, and then from the tanks that we had, we we did samples climbing on top of the tanks at night, uh, being a target for the Viet Cong because you you sitting on that top of that tank with a flashlight, uh, gauging the tank to see how much fuel is in there and take samples to make sure the fuel was was okay to be used, and uh, and that went over and over and over again. Anytime I had other duties, which Sometimes I would go out and assist on convoys, uh, moving fuel, doing 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 the third core area down to uh, Thompson Newton, and Long Bend Post, and uh, Fruitvale and and Quan Loy, and uh, so that was that went on for about a year, and then um, I was due to uh, leave post. During that time, I I managed to make the rank of of sergeant, 
So before I left um, Vietnam, I, I'd become a sergeant, but during the time I had to endure a lot of a lot of pressure and a lot of things that I really didn't go real, go along with, and, and and some of it was, you know, a lot of molestations and things were going on, and at the base on the post in my hooch where I was, and, and by me being in charge of the hooch, I, I didn't have no choice but to give up my. I had like a private quarters, but I had to get my quarters up for the other veterans, or I feared some kind of getting, you know, some kind of reprisal or some somebody would do something to me you know, throw a grenade in the hooch or, or whatever. I didn't know what might happen. So I, I, I kind of slept a lot of nights with with the the cries of of people, of people crying, no GI, no, and, 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 and things like that, which has kind of stuck with me in, until today. You know, and when I, when I got home from Vietnam, I had lost my father right shortly after that in 1970. And then, then I proceeded to try to get a job, which was difficult. And I, I landed a job at, Navajo Freight Lines, which was a, a job working at nights, which resembled kind of my duties in Vietnam, so that didn't didn't work real good for me. So I tried other other avenues of work, and I wasn't su- too successful. So at one point in time, I I had an interest in motorcycles, and I started riding motorcycles. So I kind of fit in with the motorcycle crowd. So in doing so in the motorcycles, I learned how how to fix motorcycles, and so. I started repairing motorcycles, and, and I lived over, lived over here in Watts. So I had a lot of the youngsters around here that didn't have father figures that used to come around with their mini bikes and hang around me to, uh, you know, just to have somebody around to just show them how to do things. So I started showing them around, showing them how to fix motorcycles. And then we would go to the races, and I would take them, a lot of them to the races. A lot of times they, I had kids of my own, I had three kids of my own, and I told my kids not to tell the kids that I was going because I didn't have the room to take them all, but they would tell them anyway. So some kind of way or another, we would make arrangements to get them all to the track and whatnot. And so these same kids, a lot of them came from single-family homes where they didn't have much of a father figure. So I, I kept a lot of them down here at my house, and my wife and I did some sewing. My, that's why I met my wife down in the garment district, so she sewed quite well. And so we used to make clothes. And so a lot of the kids around here that were going to school, a couple of the guys going to high school, I remember them getting ready for the prom and his clothes wasn't too good. So I got them some clothes out that we had made and dressed him up real nice and taught him how to shave and, and got him got him going real good. And so I used to get up and, and follow the kids to school here in the neighborhood over at Markham Junior High School and and Ritter and Wigan uh, Elementary School and check their homework and stuff like that during the during this time. And then I was also involved in uh, going to the prison, the Chino prison, doing talks at the pre-release programs to try to help the the young people around here stay out of trouble. And um, so then I I I, um, I couldn't get a job as a uh, a motorcycle mechanic, even though I had finished. Motorcycle mechanic school. I found out about a mechanic school right here on Vernon and Central, but the school that they had for the blacks wasn't quite the same school that they had over Santa Fe Springs. Uh, our, our whole shop wasn't as big as the the car, car uh, the cabinet. I mean, sorry, the the carburetor shop over the other place. But I managed to be the top ranch during the schooling time, and then I also had set a national record on the motorcycle, so I had a kind of a a good little following of young people around here that followed me, I don't know, until they, until, until their adulthood. And a lot of the kids' parents had me down as a 
the person to contact if their kids was having trouble at school. So I, I doubled down as, you know, kind of like, like a stepfather, neighbor, friend, whatever. I, I did that. So after doing that for some time, I couldn't continue doing that anymore. I I started going to, to the VA. I, I found out I was having some problems with my mental health and stuff like that. So uh, I didn't realize that I had, had PTSD. My wife had talked me into seeking treatment. So I went to the vet center, the um, guardian of vet, vet center, and I started treatment over there, but they didn't treat me too good. It seemed as though, you know, I, I kind of sensed something right. I was from a part of town where people hustle you. And so I kind of got this feeling this guy was kind of hustling me, this counselor. And really what it turned out, he was grooming me because I went there for years and years. I went there from 1998 to 2013 before I was ever let, let, uh, allowed to go to a, a group session. And it was because I filed a complaint against this individual. And it turned out that this man turns out that he wasn't a doctor. He downloaded his degree online. And I, I filed complaint after complaint after complaint. So they began to sabotage my medical records and write uh, things about me. Like I was a, came there under the influence of heavy alcohol and possibly crack cocaine when none, when none of that was true. So uh, from then, from 1998 until now, I've been dealing with the after effects of the retaliation, which has been unrelenting up until this date. I have things in my medical records where people have referred to me as a under the influence of heavy alcohol and possibly crack cocaine. And then on another occasion, I, I took my brother to, who was also a veteran. I have three other brothers that are veterans. I took a brother to uh, Las Vegas to an emergency appointment. And while at the visit, he was being asked questions and, and I was there as his caregiver and I corrected the question that he didn't answer correctly in the, the, the the nurse in the room told me she couldn't listen to us both talk at the same time, so she told me to get out of there. So she eventually had me written up by the VA police for disorderly conduct, and so I wasn't able to follow my brother's care. That was in 2014. And so when I, I went back to Las Vegas in 2017, he was still sick, and I went to an appointment at the clinic with him, and I was sitting in there with the doctor trying to find out questions about his cancer treatment when the doctor was talking to me in a very condescending way. She started telling me how old she was, like she thought I was younger than she was. But it turns out I wasn't. I told her, I said, I heard you say you're 60-something years old about seven or eight times. And I said, I don't know what that has to do with the visit. I said, so I, I assume you won't be 70 this year. So when I said that to her, she tells me real loud, right in front of my brother in the wheelchair, real frail. Your brother got stage four cancer. He ain't getting no better. I ain't got time to answer your questions and you get out of here. So I, I was shocked by what she said to me and I was trying to leave when the VA police kind of got in there on me and they were ridiculing me and I was telling them about the incident I had in 2014 and they will not have any parts of it. So they ran me out of the VA the facility and then sometime later my nephew and his girlfriend, they were in there also. It was four blacks in there. My older brother, 80 years, years old, myself, I was coming up on 70, and I had a, a nephew that was 50 and his girlfriend, 45. We were all in there together, and they didn't question any of them about the incident. So when my when my nephew came out with my brother sometime later, he told me 
that the doctor told him that she she apologized, but she didn't tell me. So um, this type of stuff been going on for since '98, and then when I, I tried to follow the complaint up, I was told by the one of the, the counselors at the vet center that I can't do anything about what happened to me in the past because the past doesn't even exist, you know. And so they wouldn't give me my medical records when I or my progress notes when I tried to get them so I could turn them in support of my claim. They held them for about seven, eight years before they were given to me. And then when I, I, I filed a complaint with the ethics department claiming that I had obstruction of the benefits process, I got a letter back from the ethics department saying that they looked into it and they didn't find no obstruction in the benefits process, but I received $35,900 in back pay from that period of time claiming that I, my benefits were obstructed. So I don't know how they came to that conclusion, but I've been having this trouble Ever since then, and 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 I, and a matter of fact, I, I was not allowed to come to the vet center because the man told me that I cannot come to the vet center and discuss what happened to me in the past. If I come there and try to discuss what happened in the past, my rights to services just went out the window. I don't have the right to bring that type of discussion in, into the vet center. So it's just been one thing after the other. And then I had another incident down in Long Beach at the adaptive, adaptive sports program where they have recumbent bikes. And this is a program where you get a consult from your doctor for maybe have some physical problem or whatever, and you go into physical therapy, they can write you a consult for a recumbent bike, which you, in this case, you ride the bike for six weeks to show them that you're interested. And then they go through the process of getting you the bike. Well, I did this, but I, when, when I went to get the bike, I instructed the, the vendor, what I wanted, he's telling me what I can and can't get. So basically what he did was block me from being able to to ask for what I really wanted on the bike and give me what he wanted to give me. And then when I saw another veteran sometime later, a white veteran with the same things on his bike that I had asked for on mine, I went back to the vendor, I mean, went back to the, the lady, Julia McClay, that's running the, the, the adaptive sports program, and I asked her why was the white guy got got the bike with the pro, with the suspension, but I couldn't. So when I told her that, she decided that she was going to get me the bike I wanted. So she, we started into the process of her getting the bike for me, and midway the process, all of a sudden one day she walks up to, to me and tells me the program's discontinued. And then she gives me a book with the the rules and regulations on what the requirements are for you to get this particular kind of accessories on your bike, even though I had gotten two written recommendations from my cancer doctor to have this. This was electric assist and suspension, and I'm continuing to go to the VA right now with lower bike problems. I just got a call last week from the, well, this week from the doctor trying to set up an MRI to check for the pain in my lower back. So I, I'm still trying to figure out why it is that they want to get me all these different things for my lower back, but they wouldn't get me the suspension that I wanted on the bike. And then when I tried to discuss it with this doctor the other day, he wants to get off the subject and, and get on another subject. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of confused with how, why they spend so much money on the stuff with these vendors and they wouldn't buy me the bike that I needed with the suspension, the, the, the suspension for my lower back pain or the electric assist for my fatigue factors but due to the fact that I have prostate cancer and leukemia, which I, didn't, I failed to mention in the beginning. I forgot to even tell you guys that. 
I was I switched VAs from from West LA to Long Beach in the end of 2010. And when I saw my primary care doctor for the first time, he tells me that you got leukemia and it looked like you had it since 2003. No one's told me anything about it. And then when I I got put in for the claim for the for the benefit, they denied the date. They don't want to go back to 2003, even though I got two doctors to say that they believe that my diagnosis should have been at 2003. And then I've also got the transcripts from a hearing that I had with a decision review officer saying that if I had the proper paperwork saying that I had the condition in two, as early as 2003, they would go back one year and pay me in 2002. And also in the transcript, it, it, said, it even also says that I say that I have the papers right here. I'll show them to you. He tells me he'll look it up. So I, I'm a little confused as why I would be coming to a hearing to produce evidence to substantiate something. I offer to substantiate the evidence and substantiate it with the paperwork that I have, and you choose not to look at it. You choose to, to, to look at it sometime later, even though the paperwork that I had says what I needed needed to say. And, and, and I just don't understand why this is going on, except for the fact that it's got to be some type of racism. And also I had the supervisor up there where I filed that appeal. I went through, finally got my paperwork from this vet center where they wouldn't give me my papers in the first place. And when I went through the papers, I see in the paperwork, my appeal that I appealed. And this paperwork, this appeal letter is not in the federal building where they make monetary decisions, but it's at the vet center where I filed this complaint against this counselor. And this counselor has actually taken this appeal that I have and use it as a, a guide to try to keep me from getting my benefits. And, 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 and if you look at the paper that he wrote, how he wrote it, you can tell based on what he wrote down that he had privy to what I was trying to appeal and he, and he took that paper and tried to counter my appeal. So when I went up in the federal building, I talked with a supervisor up there named Mr. Snyder and I asked him about that that appeal letter, I showed him the appeal, and when I showed it to him, he told me under certain circumstances, this counselor could have my appeal letter. And so I stood there like an idiot for a couple of seconds, and I asked him to name a circumstance, and he immediately got security to march me out. He couldn't answer my questions, so he got the security guard to walk me and another veteran out of, out of his office. So I, I don't know... Um, Anything else to really say about that except that everything that I'm saying, I can substantiate it. Uh, the person that I'm saying, this counselor that wrote those lies in my paperwork, in that same paperwork he wrote that I never told him about going to Vietnam, never mentioned combat, but in the opening notes he says I'm a Vietnam veteran that did a year in combat. So I can't understand how the people in the ratings board of, the, of 11,000 Wilshire would allow him to make that statement when they had the, the ability to look at my DD-214 and, and decide whether or not I'm a combat veteran. If he had taken a, a moment to take a look at that, you would have been able to tell that somebody's lying about something, but you chose not to do that. You chose to accept this person at his word and deny my claim based on some statements made on, a, on some paperwork that this person wrote down. I got a, a note from the patient advocate saying that he looked up this man's license and he does not have any license. And I also talked with the inspector general about this man and this man 
and the inspector general called him a scumbag right to my face. But when I went back to get the report, I didn't get it. it was the, the the inspector general that I saw was Oppa, his last name was Opperhofer. So we can we can I don't have no problem naming names because it's been going on a long time and I and I I'm calling you out on it. So I'll name names. I got dates, names, whatever you want. Uh, and a matter of fact, I don't have a problem taking, sitting and putting on the, on the, on the put, being put on the lie detector test, but I don't think anybody else wants to. I don't have a problem with anything I said being validated or proved. I can prove whatever you want to be proved. I'll take a break and let somebody else say something now. Mr. Charles, I want to thank you, uh, Charles. Um, I, I, you know, I want my listening audience to understand that, uh, number one, many of the veterans that served in Vietnam and some of the other wars as well, they were dealing with chemicals that were known to cause cancer, okay? They were given drugs, uh, LSD, heroin, cocaine, to be able to deal immensely, mentally uh, sustain themselves in the jungle, okay? That's number, you know, that's most important. And when they came back, uh, when... The veteran talked about what he heard as far as people being raped. Okay. There were so many things that were going on, but these young men, these were young men, you know, they were just on their parents' home, just out of a high school, being forced to see the very ugly hell of war. And when they came back, because of some of the things that had been revealed that had taken place, in Vietnam, and the fact that the country wanted our guys out, that when our guys came back, they could not get a job. They were considered monsters. They, right. they, they it, it was legal at the time to discriminate against them. They, yes. they, they were made to be monsters in the media, in television, and everywhere. Cool. And since the inception of the post office, one of the most transitional jobs for our veterans is the United States Post Office. They weren't able, as Vietnam veterans, to go directly into the post office. It was years before they were able to get in the post office. In fact, I'm going to make a little tune back out there, go postal. Well, it was only after other service veterans uh, that was working for the post office went postal, did the Vietnam's complaints of not being able to get a job in the post office become clear, that they had a screening process, and they had discriminated against our veterans. You know, there are a lot of things that when our veterans talk, people don't want to listen when he mentioned the contractors. These are contractors, similar to myself, that the government will pay to do the work that government employees either used to do or they have transitioned them out in contracting. One of the things, Mr. Charles, I wanted to speak about is the contractors that that, uh, house veterans in nursing homes, rehabilitation homes, uh, uh, apartments, uh, housing, and the homeless. Mm-hmm. When you think of that, because you've worked with the homeless, what do you think about the way 
these contractors treat our veterans? How do you feel about how you're treated by these contractors? I, I think they just actually I, what I think is like it's almost it feels almost the same as uh, somebody hustling your Social Security number to do to buy some 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 health supplies like they call your house and tell you they need a back brace or you need some medical alert or something. They don't really have a real they don't really care about you. They care about your last four and what they can what they can charge to it. That's what I feel. Right. You want to charge Ooh. up my you want to charge up my my name and stuff and you don't even want to respect me, but you 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 can't charge it up. You got to have a number to charge it to. So that's the only yeah. thing that's the only importance I am to you is that number that you want to use to charge something. So let me let me explain that to my to my listeners. So veterans are they 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 have fought for the right to have these benefits that every few years the government admits that there were things that they did like Asian Orange, uh, like now with the Iraq and uh, war where the, the, the earplugs were defective and it has caused hearing loss, uh, like uh, the, the, uh, many of our, our veterans are sterile or have had issues trying to have children because of related uh, uh, injuries that they, they sustain. So as they um, get older, uh, companies come along and they follow the lawsuits and the settlements. So then they call these veterans and they say, oh, uh, if you have a back brace, if you need a back brace, we can get you the back brace. All we need is your, your last four and your information and you decide and say, yes, you want it. Boom, they get it. Oh, we, we heard about your telephone and the situation with your telephone. So all you have to do is give us uh, your information and we will get you a telephone that's a high volume uh, so that, that you can hear. Uh, if you uh, uh, have an issue with you need a walker or a get around or something like that, we can help you. And, and, and what happens is it is a fleecing. It's a fleecing because, yes, the veteran may need this, but what happens is after he says, yes, I want it, they charge the government, the taxes, taxpayers, thousands of dollars for something that the the veteran, if he had the ability to go to a Costco or a Walmart or, or, or some other place, they could buy it. But they won't give the veteran the money. Right. They won't give the veteran the money. They'll give this contracting person the money. I want to speak a, a moment, uh, uh, sir, about uh, these convalescent homes that have their veterans um, locked in them. And because of COVID-19, uh, you can't even see them. You mentioned about advocating for your brother. Why don't you go into that a little bit about how they treat you when you're the caregiver for a uh, a veteran and they're trying to either dismantle his benefits or try to 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 cover up the injuries or, or, or the funds that they need to uh, uh, disperse to take care of him. Why don't you talk about a little bit about that? Well, my brother actually was 82 years old, and he was in, in Las Vegas, and he had the one where I said they ran me out of the hospital. He had um, stage four lung cancer, and I looked through his notes, and it said that he had 
going to the hospital at the, at the VA in February 2017, complaining of chest pain. They did a mis test, and so he had a spot on his chest, and they did nothing. They let him go home. And in that same month, he went to a small hospital near him, and they did a small needle laceration, found out he had stage 4 cancer, and he was gone by, I think, May of that year. Well, that same visit, well, I guess the same time I was up there, and the doctor told me she didn't have time to answer my questions. When I went through the the, the the notes for that visit that day, there was no mention of me ever being there. And then uh, when I went through the Freedom of Information Officer to, to see if there was an incident report made, written for that day, there was no incident report written, but the time in 2014 there was. So they they, they really were trying to get my brother out of the out of the hospital system and i didn't realize it right then but i ca- caught on later they was trying to get him in what they call public care which is just what you put somebody in for them to die you're not planning on them getting any better so and then the fact that the person tell you right to your face that your brother got stage four cancer he ain't getting no better and i ain't got time to answer your question get out of here says exactly what it is that you really don't care you just pass them along so uh i got a sister in the nursing home right now and uh i've been trying for the last month to get her out she she contracted the uh she was in there since november 2019 she got uh, coronavirus on the 19th of july this year they sent her out to, to for five days and brought her back on august the 5th to the same facility and i've been trying since since august the 7th to get her out of there and i haven't been able to get her out of there yet so these you got people in these places that put your loved ones in there and you and you think that they really care about them but they but they don't they just all they're doing is got their numbers that they're using and they're getting paid for it and they, and they, and if they and then when they're doing that they got a bunch of them drugged up because you you got more patients than you can handle so you use the drugs on them to keep them calm down so you can handle that many people because otherwise you otherwise you can't handle that many people at one time so you got people just in there. They just nobody cares about them. They just there, and and and, and people are just going through the motion. They're just going through the motion. That's all. I'm going to do an in-depth story. I'm I'm, I'm going to. Uh, I'm, I have one facility under investigation right now, and I won't get uh, into that a whole lot tonight because uh, I have a special treat for them. Uh, I'm going to be filing a suit for a wrongful death and for neglect, uh, institutional neglect on my dad. And yes. uh, the facility, uh, the uh, facility used a different name uh, in their contract with the VA. Uh, however, if you go online and you look at the state, they have multiple complaints under the name that's on the building, under the name of the cards that they give you. So, yes. you know, um, I have a little treat for them. When I was told I could not see my dad uh, after being, you know, put in this facility, uh, one of the nurses, and I thank God that we have uh, people that will give you the heads up. Well, I got the heads up that I needed to see my dad. And unfortunately, um, they told me that I couldn't. Yeah. Because of COVID-19, it was impossible for me to see him. I said, well, he was just at the VA. He tested for the COVID-19, uh, and he he was definitely uh, not COVID-19. Yeah. So um, I need to see him to discuss the papers that 
I will need to sign uh, for him to be in this facility uh, on hospice because yeah. he was told that he was coming here for rehab. Now it is flipped that he will be here for hospice. So uh, as they try to slow me down and to, uh, you know, take a little time and, and what have you, um, I got a little bit upset. And I asked him, I said, well, could you put it in writing? To which he did. He put it in writing that I could not see my dad based on COVID-19. And I should understand because I'm a, 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 an officer of the ombudsman office and I should know this and I should know that. Well, I told him, you, then you should know that any ombudsman can see any patient in any facility. And that is what our job is. So number two, at any time, a family member, because we have these things called the Patient's Bill of Rights. And I hope the family members that are out there listening know that COVID-19 does not take away your constitutional rights, does not take away your human rights, and it does not take away your patient's bill of rights. Institution where your family is in refuse to allow you to do a welfare check on your own family member, take them out of there, because that's what I did to my dad. He was grossly abused, malnutritioned, uh, dehydrated, and there's going to be hell to pay from that institution for it. Right. And he passed away the day after I took him out of this this facility. So, you know, um, I know they're listening because I told them I was going to be doing the show. What I didn't tell them was I was going to the attorney general to ask for criminal charges to be filed on those on the administrator and the director of nursing. Criminal neglect is a crime, right. and elder abuse is a crime. I brought my guest on tonight because he talked to me about a person who disrespected him, lied on him, and so he himself called the police. The police came to the institution. And they basically don't want to get involved because, the, you know, the, why don't you discuss what happened to you, sir, the blatant disrespect that you suffered? Well, I was at a, uh, I was at a cancer appointment with a, a fellow veteran because I, have, I had uh, prostate cancer and leukemia, so I knew a little bit about it. And so I was been talking to the guys that I go around to coach them about cancer and stuff like that. So one of the guys came down with cancer, so we went to a urology appointment. And we arrived there early. So after we got to the appointment, we were there early. And then our time for the appointment came and kind of went past the time. And so I asked him what's going on. So the guy who I was with for the appointment said, go check. So when I went to the counter and asked the guy, had he forgotten about us, he asked me, tells me, who the fuck am I, his effing daddy? Who are you? you?" And then he went into a big old rant about, well, this and that, telling me off. And so... He caught me off guard, and then I was trying to say something back to him, so he walked away, and I uh, tried to get the other clerk to get to see his supervisor. So this went on for about 20 minutes or so, and then we finally got the doctor that we were going to see, so we went in the back and saw the doctor, and I told him about it. So when we came out of the appointment, he was back out there, so I walked up on him and get his name. He tells me, F me. He don't give a F about me. He don't give a F about his job. He's 100% service connected, and he says, I know you don't want to go out in the back with me because 
you're old and you're on a walker. See, I'll take you out back and kick your ass, but, so, but you're on a walker, so I know you don't want to go out there with me. So I, 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 uh, I couldn't, when, while I was trying, while I was talking to him, the supervisor came up and walked up on him talking to me like that, but the supervisor appears as though he, it shocked him to the point where he really didn't want to be in that position. That's what I felt when I saw it because of his actions afterwards. When I told him he's going to have to write this up, he took me to a side room, me and this other gentleman that I was with, and he started fumbling around on some paper that he had, and he wrote something down, and then we got it written down. I asked him, did he want me to sign it? He said, no. I said, well, can you going to give me a copy? He said, no, if you going to write some kind of complaint, write your own complaint, take the patient advocate office. So I knew then that he wasn't going, wasn't planning on doing anything. So a little time passed by, a week or so passed by, and we, we were over in the federal building, so I told the guy I was with that, let's cross the street and see if the guy, if they did anything. We get over to the place where this happened, and he's right back there at the counter working like nothing happened. So that's when I got hold to the police. I called them, and they're going to tell me that I did the right thing by handling it the way I handled it, but I told him I felt like it was a threat, and then and the cop tells me and he don't. It wasn't. It didn't quite raise to the level of a threat, even though he told me what he told me, and the fact that I am am 73 years old at the time. I was 72 years old, and uh, and and have a, a mental health disability, which is post-traumatic stress, which puts some extra on that. You can't disabuse. You can't abuse and threaten people with disabilities, especially mental health disabilities like that. And then, but then the police officer. To get out of it, he took a picture of the complaint that I gave him on his telephone, and then it made made the excuse that he had another call he had to go to, and he rushed out of the building, and I never saw him anymore. So that's that's where that went. And many of them don't want to. I, I want to explain to my listeners when you have a uh, a facility that has police, the VA has its own police department, and it, they are federal police. Um, the the police that this veteran called was the police for the city in which the VA hospital is in. The unfairness is is that if you call the police anywhere, the police is supposed to write a report and to actively investigate it. Now. I want to let you know because there's so many people that, you know, they have their feelings about Black Lives Matter or, or or how the teachers are being treated or how the nurses are being treated. Let me say this. Our veterans have already given you their services. Those that survived and made it back on American soil alive should be taken care of. And they should always get the benefit of the doubt. I can't begin to be, to tell you what I've seen in some of these facilities. We took on the Baltimore and Virginia VA hospitals. We contacted uh, Diane Feinstein's office when Long Beach was not utilizing the monies that had been appropriated to build and expand that facility. I want you all to know that it is important that we take care of our veterans. I I don't intend to sit back and allow uh, nursing facilities, 
uh, apartment complexes that pretend to want to house homeless veterans to just get tax dollars, and our veterans are still on the streets. They have they have mental uh, uh, programs, uh, groups that are getting hundreds of thousands of dollars a month to provide services to veterans to which our veterans are not receiving. And I can't begin to to tell you how many veterans go into a facility and the family is called and say he's dead or she's dead. Yeah. If I had not had the fortitude to get my father out of Santa Fe convalescent home, better known or doing business as Beachside, he would have died there in that facility with no water, with the cold in his eye glued shut, had not been shaved, had a decubitus ulcer that he did not have 10 days before when I brought him to the VA hospital. And they were just letting him lay there and die. Yeah. Under the auspices of, he's quarantined, he's quarantined, he quarantined. No, he's abandoned. Right. No, he is being abused, neglected. Right. And I will say this, everybody should have their day in court. I want them to explain the pictures that we took when we brought my dad to the VA that we took the day before, which are camera time stamped, and the pictures of him when I went and rescued him out of this facility. Wow. And and, and I'm going to tell you something. I know my job. I know the power of our office. And when somebody tell me you're not going to, I hey, you know what? We may have to have the police to come. We may have to have the marshal to come. We may have to have the governor to come. But he's coming out of this damn facility. Yeah. And and and, and I'm gonna tell you because many of us believe somebody that don't even know what the hell they're talking about. COVID-19. COVID-19 does not give you a right to abuse our people. And I want to tell you something. That security guard that told you that I, you're too old for me to take you outside and beat you, who still has his job as of now, should have been investigated and taken off the counter for a terrorist threat. Right. Because if you would have said it to him, they would have arrested you. You would have had a keep away and a, and, and a restraining order preventing you from going to that facility. They would have had you catching a bus, driving a car, all the way to another facility because you wouldn't be able to go back there. Right. And they do it to a lot of our veterans. Right. These security people are a contracted group of people being paid. Many of them have never seen a enlistment form, let alone took an ASVAB. And they have the unmitigated gall to talk to our veterans the way they do. Now, I can say this. We have some veterans, like my dad and others, they can tell you some things. They can call you some names. They can cuss you from one. They pay their dues, though. 
And when they were doing what they were doing, it was for the safety of this country. So don't sit back now that they've paid the dues for the freedoms that you claim and feel like we can throw them away. Uh, we're going to be doing, we're going to be asking uh, uh, Congresswoman Karen uh, Bass, as well as Senator Dianne Feinstein, to open investigations immediately on the ill treatment and the abuse of our veterans, uh, not only in veteran facilities, but also in contract facilities. We're going to ask that our veterans be surveyed by a third party, not the government, not the uh, patient advocates that pretend to be doing something, and they don't. They have a government job. They get a government check, and they can give less than a damn about our veterans. And I said that because I use them. And unfortunately, they don't work either. So my point is this. We are asking our congresswoman and our senator from the state of California to ask for a broad investigation, hearing, and we would like a third party to do surveys to survey our veterans and their families who are receiving treatment services from contracted agencies on how they are going about treating our veterans. Because with any job that you have, there there's an opportunity for you to be evaluated. And these individuals who get in these contracts, no one's going to, you know, go into these veterans and say, hey, how, how did you like your, 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 your treatment over here? How, how is that going over there? And if the security guard can talk to or, 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 or a contracted employee to talk to our veterans the way this gentleman was talked to, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. And if a family member intervenes, you heard him say what happens when he tried to intervene with his dad, I mean with his brother. Yeah. The same with my dad. If I was just a son, just happened to have a son with a job. So I was able to get my dad and take him back to the VA hospital. Um, I want to let you have an opportunity uh, here to close out with anything that you want to put out there about the way you've been treated and what you think would be the best recourse to go to make sure that other veterans don't suffer at the hands uh, as you have suffered. Okay. I believe, first of all, I think that there should be some type of recording device in place when the veterans go in and and have and, and see someone because uh they have it so tight in there and they don't want any kind of thing recorded and the reason why they don't want it recorded because they mistreating the veterans. And, and to me, if you was treating someone right, you wouldn't have a problem with it being recorded because you you're not it's not you. You're not the person being serviced the veteran is. So I believe that there should be some way where you go in a especially mental health interview because the fact that you got a mental health disability puts you in a different level of being believed. If you if you tell something, you know you less likely to be believed. And instead of it being believed, they call it a perception. You perceive this to go on. This is written in my medical records a lot of times. Well, these are perceptions 
but they're not perceptions, they're facts. And it's not a perception, but they write it up like that. And then when you're in their office, they got all the power. You don't have any power. You don't have any way of keeping them in line. And and, and I think that you should have a, a, the session should be recorded. And the veterans have have access to the button to push it, to delete it. If you feel that the appointment was a good appointment, you can delete it if you want. If you feel like you got a problem with it, you need to check it out later. I think that should be done too because in the process of all of these things going on, there's a little intimidation going on and there's, there's bribes going on, people paying for, for getting things from the VA that they shouldn't have to pay for. You know, like you get finally get your benefits and people drag you along a long way. They feel like you owe them something and make you feel like you owe them something. So you, you're trying to pay them for it. And then if you're not paying them, it's not fair for you to fight a case for all these years. If you end up with a, a friend of mine got $95,000, so to me, when I hear the word ninety-five thousand, that's deprivation. You've been de- been deprived, and your money been held away from you for that long because you don't get ninety-five thousand dollars a month. Take quite a few months to accumulate ninety-five thousand dollars. So that's deprivation. And, my, and when I look at it, it's like you've been deprived, and I don't think it's fair for somebody to be deprived that long, and then forced to go get them a white lawyer to get their money for them. And he's gonna get a third of your money, and he ain't, he just walked up on on it on the case the other day. And you've been dealing with it all these years, and you got to fork over some more money. I, I don't, I can't, I just can't see, I just can't see that. Period. I just can't see see that happening. And then I think that anybody that makes false statements to receive or impede one's rights to federal benefits has committed a federal crime, and it should be punishable by some fines and some imprisonment in federal federal imprisonment. Because just talking about it is not enough. If you if you committing federal crimes against veterans, there ought to be a special charges to you to, to it. Just like if you if you traveling down a highway and you you do something wrong in a work zone, the the penalty double. I think the penalties and the and the punishment ought to ought to double if you're doing it to a veteran. I don't think a veteran. If you want to go around and talk about thank you for your service, then act like show me that you you thank me for my service and protect me. That's what I got to say about that. Wow. You have said a lot, and you have helped me. This is the reason why I think it's always important to talk to the victims themselves. You know, a lot of people say that I'm an AMVET. We help veterans. Well, have you ever asked a veteran what he want help with? You know, because if you ask them, they'll tell you, that was brilliant, sir. That was brilliant. Because I, you're right. If a person is just like if they mistreat an elderly person, there's special circumstances, special prosecution for that. And, and right. yes, I agree. You know, you you mess with a child, there's special prosecution. You mess with a veteran, you, there should be special prosecution as well. I agree. And well, you, know uh, you can say one other thing about that. Can I say one more thing about it? Yes, sir. Go ahead. What I wanted really wanted to say, and, and I get a little, I get a little emotional when I say this after. They had done me so wrong for so long, and I I thought about doing some harm to them. And then I thought about the kids and all that. I thought about the example that I could set for the young people. If I just didn't do nothing, if I didn't go get violent, if I didn't go kill somebody or shoot up a place or go about it a different way, because sometimes people do things to you and make you hurt yourself when you're just really eliminating yourself. They don't have the right to force you 
to hurt yourself or hurt someone else because they did you wrong. You, you, you're the victim. You shouldn't feel so bad until you want to go to school and shoot up the school and kill up a bunch of kids. So I basically, I, I hung on to it. They've been bullying me for since 1998 till now. And these kids going to school, you ain't these kids. You ain't you ain't twenty some years old yet. So if I can if I can deal with it for twenty some years, then you don't let somebody force you to commit suicide or, or some crazy something crazy behind that. It's just it ain't the thing to do, and you you getting your life cut short. It's, it's just I don't it's just not I just don't see it like that. And that's why I just decided I would I would hang on to that and say if I ever get a, a form that I can express myself. And I, I wanted to say that to the kids, that you don't let somebody bully you into, into hurting someone else or hurting yourself. You're more important than that. Thank We're going to make sure that you get a form. Thank you. We're going to make sure that you get a form to talk to some of our young men out of the school system, uh, particularly with uh, the foster children. And uh, I think that's a very important message. I am so glad, the ladies, I've had on the show. Doing another show uh, where we uh, unfold the investigation on Santa Fe Convalescent Home in the city of Long Beach, uh, where um, my father last uh, facility before he passed away. I want to thank you all for listening. Our veterans matter, and listen to what he said. Instead of telling me, "Thank me for my service," "Thank you for your service," why don't you just do you your actions? <laughs> Show me. Don't just tell me. Thank you, sir. I am very, very glad to have you on the show, and you'll always be welcome back. You can listen to the show by calling the number that we previously gave to you. Uh, yeah. We're going to have another guest on. And uh, thank you very much for being a part of the show. Well, thank you, you so much for having me on the show, and I, I, I'll be willing to, I'll be willing to help you with anything that I can help you with. God bless you. I want to do the same thing. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Yeah. We'll, be, we'll be talking to you. Thank you, sir. You're, You're listening sure. to the Unbeckman Show Show. I want to thank you all for listening. We are excited, excited, excited about our show. Um, you know, it, it's important that we all know that we have the power to change things. It's important that we change things. Um I want to thank uh, Tyree Childs, a United States Army veteran, for being a part of the show. Now on the top of the hour, we have another um, uh, guest, uh, Matthew John Adams, and he'll be calling in very shortly. You know, um, I know many of you realize that um, (laughs) we all have a responsibility. So we can this must be Matthew John. It is. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Welcome to the Unbuzzing Press Show. So Thank you. Let's I want to make sure that our audience understand what happens in these convalescent homes, these, these places that are supposed to be rehabs to, to uh, help the, the persons who need help 
get back on their feet and get back home. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened to you, sir? Well, I, I'm not, this is not my bailiwick, but I'm going to do my best. Um, you know, I was in uh, UCLA uh, after a pretty severe car accident, and uh, they operated on my leg, and a few days later they operated on my shoulder, and quite literally 45 minutes later had me out on the street. I was in a hotel. I mean, I, I can't even make it to the bathroom. I, You know, I have fortunately a girlfriend, Terry, who's a psychologist who... If it wasn't for her, I honest, quite frankly, I don't know where I'd be. But I'll 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 cut to the chase. This place that uh, UCLA recommended, uh, called Greenfield Rehabilitation. Uh, I got there, and um, I believe it was, was it on Friday, Terry. Yeah. On Friday, I had an appointment on Monday they were supposed to take me to I never made it there uh, I mean that's quite literally just the tip of the iceberg uh, you know they didn't give anybody baths the entire they had quite literally shut the bathrooms down the entire time I was there uh, I mean it, it, it the list just goes on and on the kitchen staff quit not sure why I have photos that I had sent to you where they, the 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 uh, the food was out on the sidewalk for 45 minutes. Um, you know the drugs. I mean, there was no staff. There was. I, I mean, I I I could go through the list. I guess I can. You know, the meals were two hours late. I I wound up taking care of my roommate. I was more worried about him than me. Mine were more physiological problems. He had had a stroke. And here the guy hadn't eaten in two hours or not taken his blood pressure. The whole kitchen crew had quit. Uh, my toilet, which serviced two rooms, there's two people per room, didn't work for 24 hours. Um, people are urinating in the sinks. Um, I, you know, they had, the place held uh, around 50 people. There was two staff members, one supposedly RN and somebody else. I, I, I mean, I just, I, I'm not sure what to say. I mean, like, again, this is kind of new to me, so maybe you can help steer me. Well, I wanted to. I wanted to. Let me just say this. And you're doing. You did an exemplary job. This is not. You know, we don't have actors. We don't have uh, a record button that we push and, and and go back and edit. We wanted to have raw, uncut, uh, a live show with people who had been victims of these convalescent homes, rehab uh, uh, facilities. These places that they are contracted. Some of them. Uh, with the federal government, Medicare, Medicare pay them. Uh, in some cases, uh, you know, uh, the clients, the patients themselves pay for it. But they're highly, in most cases, they're recommended by facilities like UCLA. Like and, and you know what? You know, Bishop, let me tell you, the, the name of the place when I went in there was called Greenfield 
Rehabilitation. It's now called Greenfield Care. They've changed the name. I had come to find out the day that my my uh, girlfriend got me out of there, which was a little bit after a week that I had been there, that the uh, the state was coming in, and that, that that she had called. And I mean, this place just. They started, you could tell they were trying to bring things up to code. I mean, I, I, I. Was that that your girlfriend who contacted our office? Yes, it was. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I contacted um, when I, uh, Matthew had called me in the morning and was telling me about what, you know, there'd been no staff um, all night, that there'd been, you know, they just showed up, they'd left the, the um, food outside, and um, I, he was on speakerphone, and I could hear the clients in there yelling and screaming and just coming unglued because there was no supervision, there was nobody to care for them, there's no there was no staff to do anything, and right. and I was just you know because I've I've seen you know pictures of the people that were there and and the injuries that they have that were never cared for they don't care for any injuries whatsoever i'm sure you yeah. saw that from the one picture i sent I did, you i saw the pictures and you know um I, I want our listening audience to know that the game changed if you go to the secretary of state uh, website there is a search anybody with a computer can search to find out if there is a doing business as or if there's an llc or a corporation you can search to find out what papers they file with the Secretary of State, who's responsible, what these companies do, what these LLCs and these these uh, shell companies do, is they just change the name. And then they put in for another license. And they'll work and use the same uh, staff, the same nurses that got their license suspended or got them under so many investigations that – uh, they had to get new insurance that they just changed the name and go right on. The one that they had my dad under, the VA was paying uh, beachside care, some type of beachside prem care. When I Googled it, I didn't find anything bad, nothing. They're, hey, they're okay. Find out that when I get there to the facility, the name on the building was Santa Fe Convalescent Home. You Google that, and all hell breaks loose. People are begging you not to put your family in these places. Uh, people are telling you how they were there for two days and they had to walk out. And, you know, people are Bishop, telling you all Bishop, you, Bishop, you and I were talking, and you told me something that absolutely turned my stomach, and that is that you had gone in there, and your father, his his diapers hadn't been changed in six and that is the most I mean I this is my first rodeo so I don't know what to say that's right or wrong but I can only tell you fortunately my injuries are physiological where I have a hard time just getting up and going to the restroom I mean for you to have to deal with something like that I, I I'm I'm stupefied I I it's just it's just I don't know. As I said to the last guest, we will be asking for criminal investigations and I, because criminal neglect is a crime. Elderly abuse is a crime. And your color of authority 
does not give you immune, immunity from prosecution. When you have woken willingly and blatant disregard for human life, you have put these patients' lives in danger by not attending to the call light, by not changing their. their oh, their, that that know. was a that was a never without a doubt they they never it could take hours for them to respond quite literally. Ma'am, what is your name? Matthew Adams. No, no, no. The, 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 your, oh, your girl. name is uh, Terry Kasich. Terry Kasich. Oh, Ms. Kasich, I thank you for for your tenacity to stand up for him. Because oh, in most cases, people won't stand up to them. They'll tell them, hey, listen, you don't have a right. It's COVID-19. Uh, you can go to the window, or he doesn't have a window in his room, and there's nothing. You know, the county says, the state department says we can't do this. We can't. And it's all a bunch of malarkey. It's a bunch of malarkey. Oh, yeah. No, no, I, I agree because when I when I originally called the ombudsman and I was talking to the woman, and and I was telling her what was going on, you know, and she was like, oh, I need to get my supervisors. This is really bad. And I'm like, well, yeah. You know, I mean, I'm having to go and see, bring him food every day because you saw, you saw the, the oh, I my God, the what they call it. Food. I saw the poison. Yeah, I it, saw was, the poison. It, it was like, it looked like dog food. It was horrifying. And yeah. um, uh, when I was talking to her, I just, I felt, you know, like I told her, I said, you know, I wish I could go in there and save everyone in there. You know, I wish that I could pull all those people out because it broke my heart. You know, because I, I have RA and I've been in nursing homes before, and I know how bad they are, oh you know, God. and, and, but this was definitely the worst one I've ever seen. And I've been in like three or four of them. Wow. Wow. So let me ask the two of you, do you think that this was systemic of their treatment patients or do you think that this is just because COVID-19 and no. the patient no. ratio, hey, this is what they're going to say. You know it, and I know it. Hey, oh, yeah. Because of COVID-19, uh, we, our nurses was not, we have, we're working with a skeleton crew. You don't abuse people. No, it, you don't. That's what they're abusing agencies for. You don't Listen, have. Once, you know what, Bishop, once they found out that the state was coming in, oh, as Perry could say, I mean, all of a sudden the place was jam-packed with people, and you—it's not rocket science. I could tell that right. they're trying to get the place up to code. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you call their phone number now? It's disconnected. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they—they they have changed their name from uh, um, Greenfield Rehabilitation to Greenfield Care. But even that, the phone number is still uh, incorrect. Um, the, that, the number that they give is the number for three other facilities that they own, including their home office, which all the, uh, the same number, which are always disconnected. Because I've, I've been calling them today. Wow. Where, where do you go from here? You're, you're, you're at home now. Do you become a patient's advocate? What do you do with this information that's so valuable uh, what do you do now? Well, you know what? Let me back up a little bit. Terry took me from this place because she said she was afraid that they they knew that she was the one who kind of blew the whistle 
that they were going to take it out on me. So we wound up in a hotel room where on a bottom floor there was handicap accessible where I, I mean, you know, it's the amount of money it's cost us. It's just ridiculous. They they have no right being in business. Well, not only that, but the the lady from the ombudsman place that I called told me that taking Mm -hmm. him out was the smartest thing I could have done because she said they would have taken it out on him. And then then you'd have to deal with me. And trust me, he knows you don't want to have to deal with me on angry when I'm angry. But the 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 problem with the reprisals and. I, I don't want to scare anyone who is listening, but if you have a loved one there, nurses, nursing assistants will tell you that if you don't take your loved one out of that facility or come and see them every day, and because of COVID-19, you can't do that, don't you let them... you can still call and you can still bring them stuff. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But they, they, they won't let you in. I mean, it's it's she dropped off. I want to make this very very important point. The point is that if you're going to complain and they know that you're the one complaining, don't leave your loved one in that facility. No, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. It is important that you get your loved one out there. You can transfer them to another facility. But if if they know that you're the one that's making that complaint, reprisals are going to come on that loved one. Absolutely. And, you know, so, uh, you know, go by, and let me tell you this, everyone who has loved ones coming by and visiting them and calling about them, they usually get better treatment because they know the family's going to come in. Right. And there's a difference between calling the state and, or calling the ombudsman office and getting them fined as opposed to you going in and they just know, Okay, she's going to be coming in, so she's going to check, or he's going to check. But this new quarantine—if you're a new—if you're new to the facility, that they can quarantine you by law for ten to fourteen days, right? So that you don't affect any of the other patients. They—they're using that fourteen days to basically don't do nothing for the patient. Yeah. Plus, they weren't even enforcing that. I, I, I again this this is my first this is my first rodeo bishop and I I I I just am stupefied. I mean I, I sent you pictures of uh of uh, some of the patients, not all, but you know, with gangrene, they had maggots on their legs. I I mean you that that's just it it's unacceptable stuff. People mysteriously dying. These are our seniors dying, and this is yeah. this is the most undignified way to die. Well, and yeah, I think there was one uh, lady, uh, elderly lady, um, thin as a because I'd seen her uh, sitting in front of the doors before, thin as a rail, and uh, she disappeared. Wow. Nobody knows what happened. She just suddenly disappeared. Nor will they tell you. These are American citizens. These are, our, these, are our, these are our elders. These are parents. Mm-hmm. Who are, and, and we need to respect them. We need to. We need to. I mean, that's and why I got on the phone and called everybody on God's earth. Yes, you did. Yes, <laughs> you did. I can tell you. 
not once, not twice, but she checked her list like Santa. She went back and forth. But it, it is unfortunate, but the squeaky wheel is what gets the oil. Yep. You know? Squeaky wheel and, gets the grease. Yep. And I yeah. can be a real pain in the butt. Well, it got it got your your boyfriend into safety. Yeah, well, and yeah, yeah. You know, and, and that, that was the whole point. Is that, you know, it's like I said, I just wish I could do something for the other people there, because I just feel so bad for them. You know, I and I know that they don't have like the his roommate. He's from Kenya, and um, you know, he has no family. He has nobody to to care for him. He has no one to come and rescue him. I was him. giving him the food and you was, brought me. Yeah, and and it just you know wow. even just talking about yeah. it, you know, it makes me so sad. Mm, it does. It really does. And the money that they're getting, okay, the money. I wonder that if he's going to reimburse me. <laughs> you know, I, I I don't. You know, I want you all to know that we are going to be requesting criminal charges for neglect. I am asking for a full. Uh, investigation by Congress to what's taking place in these nursing homes and facilities during COVID-19. I think that many of them have these signs on the windows, but they 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 don't realize that you can't. Uh, this law does not supersede state and federal law, where you have patients' bill of rights, and yep. they are they are evoking their own rules in this convalescent home that does that it over exceeds. It's 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 their rights and responsibilities. You know, you can't not feed a person all day and all night, not change a person for six different shifts, three. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner sat in the corner after it was consumed. He had wow. trash in his room because they wouldn't come and take the uh, – I actually had to bring him a trash can because they wouldn't take the uh, trash out. A lot of times when his uh, urinal was full, he'd have to go and stick it in the hallway. Wow. No one, no one would answer the, the, the nurse ring. So he'd Matthew, have to stick it there. Then he'd have to, you know, urinate in the sink. Matthew, yes. Matthew, tell me a little bit about the toilet that was stuck, broken, and the fact that people were, you'd share the bathroom with someone else. I, uh, the, the bathroom, the way the bathroom situation worked, Bishop, was there was a bathroom that was shared by two rooms. Each room had two patients. And I don't know about the other ones, but my guy from Kenya, um, he's like, what do I do? I said, piss in the sink. I mean, I, I, I apologize, but I can't, I mean, I was talking to him. I said, you don't have a choice. But if he had to go number two, he and I had to do it at two in the morning. I'm trying to find a place to go wow. have a bowel movement. Wow. I mean, it, it just, I mean, you can't write this stuff. Right, right. And this is America, people. This is America. Yeah. This is America. You know, this is the, the, the people who send, you know, uh, space shuttles, uh, build space shuttles. Yeah, and right. This is crazy. No, so it, it, you know what, Bishop, it's, it is it is quite frankly it's and I didn't realize it until I experienced it. It's unacceptable. I mean it's it's just absurd. We're spending trillions of dollars of giving people nine hundred dollars a week for unemployment. Um 
I and and nobody's accountable for the way we're treating our elderly. I mean, fortunately, I mean, I'm a young 66. I mean, I was in a pretty tough car accident, and and had it not been for Terry, honest to God, I don't know what I would have done. I mean, she came in there after she had called you guys, the state, the adult protective services. She came in on Friday and said, we're out of here. Um, she was afraid what they might do to me. And I can't say that they would have done something, but quite frankly, I can't say that they wouldn't have. I mean, it's just, it's unacceptable. You know, and what I, I know you're going personally through a lot right now, and, and uh, I want to let you know I appreciate your tenacity and, and what you're doing right now because I know you've been through it on your own level. So my hat's off to you, my friend. Thank you, and I appreciate you. I appreciate you and your girlfriend for fighting. You know, what helps our office more than anything is the whistleblowers. And we get a lot of uh, nursing assistants, LVNs, RNs, um, uh, PT uh, activities, uh, uh, personnel, call us and say, hey, this, this is what's going on with this facility. You know, uh, there's staff at the high level, and they're not doing anything about it. Or we have somebody here with COVID-19, they're patients. They're not in the same room. And, then, you know, that's how we find out. Sounds like yours. I'm going to have this. I'm not going to take it. So we encourage everyone, if they don't have an abusement telephone number in their facility, if they don't have their own private abusement uh, telephone number, they have to have and, an and, and, and And, Bishop, let me say this. People that have not checked on their loved ones need to who think who just assume which is not wrong, but they assume everything's okay and everything's being taken care of. That's not necessarily the case. Say it again. Say it again. Repeat what you just said. I said I said people who just assume that their loved ones are being taken care of cannot assume that. Well, you know, they 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 need to go in and check and talk to them and find out. And, I mean, it's just, it's, it's scary is what it is. But it's very scary. Yeah, it is. Because we're living in tumultuous times where, you know, um, it's easily to, 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 Say COVID nineteen is the cause of death. And that's yeah, not the negative. Neglect. Yeah. Neglect. Neglect abuse. is the cause. Yes, neglect is the cause of death. And I want to say this: it is a felony. It is a felony to abuse a senior citizen. Yes, it it's is. A felony. So yes, for you to not have water by the bedside. Not oh. have <laughs> I sparked light? Yeah, no, yeah. I was gonna say you're preaching to the choir. I mean, you have to, you had to. I mean, and again, I I had access to my wheelchair. This guy did not. He had had a stroke, and I I I had to go out and 
not yell, but insist, insist, insist that the med nurse that served 50 patients, I said, you need to take this man's um, blood pressure. I mean, I it it just I I I it's something it's like out of a Stephen King movie. I mean, I should I kid you not. It's like out of a Stephen King movie. I I've never seen anything like it. Wow, you know I I want to say this. People have. Loved ones, how would you feel if the person that's being paid mistreated your grandmother, mistreated your grandfather, mistreated your husband or wife or child? All of these people that are in this facility have someone, and even if they don't have them there readily to advocate for them, they have what is called the... United States Patients' Bill of Rights, which was a Bill of Rights Act for patients nationwide. Though each state may modify and add, they can't take away from the Patients' Bill of Rights. And you have a right to be treated with respect and dignity. You have a right to participate in your, in your treatment care plan. You have a right to receive the medications and all of the assistance that you are that you desire or need. And when you take a person's call bell away from them and tell them they're ringing it too much because you haven't responded in an hour or two, that Dude. is a loss. Yeah, agreed. It just—I mean, like I said, I've been in really bad ones. And but this is definitely the worst one I have ever seen. Terry Terry has RA pretty badly, so she is. Uh, this is not her first rodeo. She's mm. she's been in in these care places. I don't even know. What I actually had my the last time I was there. Uh, it was owned by the same company, and uh, my healthcare facility healthcare partners actually pulled me out after four days. Because I had to well, be my own advocate, you know, because like you were saying, yeah. you know, the, the, the yeah. thing, what's important is is that, oh, that was the other thing I wanted to bring up. There were no so, licensed social workers there whatsoever, yeah. and they yeah. have to have them. That That is by law. So they had nobody there to protect them, no one there to advocate for them, nothing. And no doctors for uh, 10 days, none. And and you know, they they're getting paid for those beds. Yeah, and right there. And the they, food they, they, and uh, everything yes. else. Everything they're not Absolutely. doing. I I had to bring him water because he couldn't get water. What? Yeah. Oh yeah. I yeah. had to bring him bottles of water. The nurses she really would bang on the door, hot. hand him. Packages, they would bring it back to uh, room three. I mean, I, 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 it, I, 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 I was just stupefied at the whole thing. There's people out in back smoking weed, and you know, there are people that have been there for for years, 
and it was home for them. And they they knew how to get around. They knew what to do to do what they needed to do to stay there. So and to, it, and to yeah. survive. Yeah, no, because literally. Yeah, it's unfortunately uh, to report that, you know, yes, if they want to survive, they got to shut up. They have to yeah. play the game. Bingo. Bingo. You they got to play the game. They got to play the game. You know, and that's again, you know, uh, without any social workers there, without anyone to monitor what's going on, these people, you know, like in 2017, uh, this company was um, fined by the state of California and sued because a 67-year-old woman was there and she died in her bed and they didn't even discover it until the next day. Right. So that means that you're not taking any blood pressures, you're not changing the patient. You're no, not giving the patient water. Okay, so we had we had those very very hot days last week. Yeah. Very hot days, and I can say that my dad suffered, and he was so dehydrated he had thrash on his tongue, and I looked at him <laughs> the other day when I took him out of that facility. I promised him, God, and a few other responsible people that this facility and its administration would pay. And criminally, they will pay. I don't want a dime. I don't want a dime of money. I will say that again. Just like with our clients, we don't sue for for uh, civil uh, finances, but we will sue for criminal acts. Well, I would love to sue for criminal purposes. Oh, yeah. No, I would much rather no, see you. Give anybody my name. We would love yeah. to sue for criminal wrongdoing. I mean, Absolutely. they changed their name. This is not the first time they had a million-dollar lawsuit uh, <laughs> 10 months ago. I mean, I listen, I, to have anybody else treated this way, it's a crime for us not to do something. Right. So I'm going to be talking to the legislature to see when we can have a hearing on these facilities and how they have treated people via this uh, COVID-19 lockout. Because, you know, imagine this, people, my listening audience. Imagine not being able to see on the inside of a jail, okay? Not being able to have people to know what's going on inside of a jail. You come in. And if you go out, you can't come back in. If these people go to an emergency room, they give their bed away because they can get so much money for a new person than for that patient that goes to the emergency room that they have abused. They don't want them back. Yeah. They have someone that 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 that, that requires too much treatment, they take them to the emergency room. And then when they when the person goes and is hospitalized and they are uh uh uh, uh put in a situation where their their life has been sustained, then they'll say, oh, we have no more beds. How do yeah. you have no more beds when you build medical care and you build a family you, for your 28? You, they're still 
technically in that band. Mm-hmm. Because you oh, they they love doing AMAs there. Anybody who oh, gives yeah. them any shit, yeah, you know, push them out. Explain that to the audience. Explain that for the the listener that have no idea what what that is. Um, against medical advice, and so I I asked the head nurse. I said, so you want me to sign something that says I'm leaving AMA? I said, so. Are you telling me that my doctor would want me to stay in a place where they don't, where the toilets don't work? Uh, I have to, uh, I have to find a place to go have a bowel movement. I'm urinating in a sink, um, and so, you know, that that's that's kind of their mo. That's their mo. They they if they can get you to sign an AMA. And I, and then I kept reiterating. I said, "So you mean my doctor wants me to crap in my pants? I, I'm not real clear here. He, my doctor thinks it's a good idea that that there's no toilet here. You know, that's pretty difficult to argue with. But trust me, they so, try. So let me ask you a question to both of you: Have you ever seen a patient be discharged? through a side door with no forms being signed? I I can't honestly answer that. Um, the thing that's a little crazy, no pun intended, is that that place had, it was not only for retirees, but it was mixed with uh, psych patients, like 5150 mm-hmm. people. We would have mm-hmm. people screaming all night, literally all night long, all day long. I had no idea. One of the reasons that that place was selected was because it was the only place, supposedly, for 20 miles that didn't have COVID-19. That, in fact, was not the case. So, you know, you you... You know, when you're coming off of a three and a half hour surgery, whacked out of your mind on drugs, and they're trying to put you into a place, what are you going to say? You know? Right. So I think UCLA is, has holds part of the blame, quite frankly. Um, you know, they they need to get beds cleared up there as well. It's a teaching hospital. I have a cast on right now that was so poorly put on that I'm bleeding off the back of my leg because the student put it up too high. Well, it's a learning hospital. It's a teaching hospital. I get that. But the the biggest thing is that, that they put me into a place that was has no business of being in business. It just does not. Well, I'm glad that you and your girlfriend, I want to give her an opportunity. Have you ever seen anybody discharged through the side door without signing anything? You know, again, honestly, I'd love to say yes, but... No, no, I was actually on, my girlfriend. Honest, oh, I, if, he's, if anybody's been pushed out the back door without signing any... Um, oh, I have. 
I've never, okay. uh, from, I, I've never from that place. Not from well, from the other place that they own. No, he's talking from the other place that they own. Oh, no, um, as far as I know, no. Okay, but that My doesn't mean it hasn't that. happened, Bishop. No, no, I mean, I the, reason thing is, is, the reason why I'm asking it was a, it was it was a uh, a question to which I knew the answer. They oh. allowed me to take my father through a side door. As I told you all, he had not been changed. His eyes had not been cleaned. He hadn't been shaved. He had not been taken care of. So when they released him, they didn't call an ambulance to take him to the VA hospital. They just released him to me. But I didn't have to sign anything to get him out. And he couldn't sign anything. And the reason why they did it that way, because they intended to be able to say, that I came and took my father. However, the mistake that they made was by giving him to me through the side door, bringing him out in a wheelchair. Wow. This The facility across the street from them have cameras. I was going to call the police, uh, you know, if they had not released him. And I did give them written orders to release my dad so that I could take him to the VA. But they did not sign the paper or have me to sign the paper. But you do know that when you sign the paper, you release them from all lawsuits or liabilities. <gasps> Are you kidding me? Yes, when you sign the papers, look at the paper. It says that you are releasing them from all liabilities from all anything that may happen to him when you release when they release him to you you're releasing them from any liability well, i had no idea it's it, oh, you yeah. know what it's only worth <laughs> paper it's written on i mean yes, actions yes. speak louder than words there's yes, so yes, many yes, people yes, there yes, that can testify yes, to the opposite I, I understand i'm just explaining to you these yeah, facilities I didn't know that. gamut and when they say that you are leaving, you are leaving against medical intervention. You're AMA. Right. AMA. And, right. And they were stupid to not get me to sign something because he died the next oh. day. Wow. After yeah, you after being, I wouldn't even call it care. After being in their torture chamber, yeah, that's a good. That's a good name. And what they don't realize is that now they've given me a new quest to find out how many other patients are being abused, and not just that facility, any other facilities they may be a part of. So I'm glad yeah. they're listening to me, because as the old people from the south say. Come Monday morning, uh-huh. Attorney General Barr will have information from us to ask for a federal investigation on how veterans are being treated in these facilities and how seniors are being abused in these facilities. And That's yes, you're right. right. UCLA, the the veteran administration. And any other facility that that subcontract with these places or recommend these places should check them out. 
Oh, right. they oh they don't. Well, the thing is, I mean, and not to digress, but um, you know, uh, I just look at it as somebody's getting a, a financial kickback to okay. put them in there. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, because does. because um, you know, he he had a lot of different choices, and that was the one that the social worker at Harvard UCLA gave him, and it was the worst place you could have put him and I'm sorry but I I, I know people I know people in business and I know all about kickbacks money kickbacks it happens all the time in all kinds of places and all kinds of arenas and I would not be surprised if that was going on wow well we have to investigate that it would definitely be something worth investigating quite frankly because how, how do you change see these people change names of their businesses with nothing else changing, not an address, not a uh, a staff member. If you lost your license or you were under investigation with all of the staff people that were in the last one when you changed your name, what's changing? Nothing's changing. Oh, it's crazy. Downright insanity. And, And the lack of professionalism is just beyond me. Just un- unacceptable. I mean, I even called on Budsman on Harbor UCLA because, you know, a- after he had a three and a half hour surgery, they released him to me 50 minutes later. He's six foot three, I'm five foot two. What the heck am I going to do with a man? You know? Wow. Wow. And seven days later, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm, yeah, a, hotel. You know, I- I'm a licensed marriage family therapist. Why am I not doing something about this? So I called the hospital administration, and that's when I started making all the phone calls. What you say? What am I going? How am I going to lift him up and turn him? Wow! Yeah, no. I I actually fell in the restroom once. Um, I've got a I've got a cut in my head that probably could have used a couple of stitches. Um, I mean, she's she's five foot two. I'm six three and two. Two twenty-five. I well, mean, you might want to ask for the insurance carrier for that. Well, I'm going to hang on to her. How about that? Yeah, I think you should. But I think you should also <laughs> ask them. <laughs> Is that a proposal? Are you are you proposing on the Ombudsman Press show? <laughs> Don't get carried away. Because <laughs> yeah, you know, us, us us bishops are allowed to officiate over weddings. So you better be nice. All right, you you'll be the first one we call. Okay. Yeah. You know, I I, I uh, honestly I can't thank you enough for uh, having having us on and reaching and out, reaching out and getting our story told, especially in lieu of what's going on in your life right now, which uh, which I just appreciate. This is therapy. This is therapy. Yeah, I, I, know, I appreciate I the two of you. I want you all to know we will be sending you a copy of the show so that you oh, can great. have it. And uh, we really appreciate Rihanna, uh, my my co-producer, my my friend, my engineer, uh, even sometime my my. Now I, I hope Greg not is not listening, but uh, that's her husband. Uh, she is she she sometimes <laughs> my, my co my co show uh, a host. And that's right. not her job, so she, she'll do it sometime with me anyway. 
and uh, but she has a new brand new baby boy, and Aww, uh, congratulations! I had to run the board myself tonight, and I know she's listening. I know she's smiling. Um, she believes in natural breastfeeding, and uh, uh, you know they are the, just the best family, uh, my extended family, and we have been doing this show now. Ooh, wow! For a long time. And um, my hat's off. I'm excited that we have had some very good guests, but we are able to expose the corruption within uh, our government agencies, and that's what we do as ombudsmen to to ensure that we are advocates for the people. And when we expose that, when we expose what is taking place, then the politicians have no other choice but to then react and and do something about it. And these egregious murders uh, that are taking place in our facilities, here's I said that, uh, Bishop L.J. Gilliam, stand by. These egregious murders taking place uh, no, I agree. in I agree. and hospitals throughout this country under the auspices of following the rules for COVID-19. Let me tell you something. If a nursing assistant has patients, there's no way possible for her or him to do anything but to neglect many of those patients. There's oh, yeah. no way possible. And yeah, the green, I mean, I get that. Yes. Totally. Yeah. And these companies are saying, well, we're not making money. Of course you're making money. And oh, if, you're making money. Making money, if you're not making money, then get out of the business. Obviously, you're making money because you keep changing your name. Yeah. Okay. And they have if seven facilities. Is, yeah, they have. Exactly. Bishop, they have like seven or eight facilities. So, yeah. I mean, this is it's, it's they it's they know what they're doing. They're crooks. They're crooks. Yeah. Yeah, they're crooks. My opinion is that they're crooks and murderers. Not just crooks. Yeah. I no, I agree. You, you I mean, when people disappear from a nursing home, you don't give them water. You don't give them food. You 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 know you have them digging and marching and You don't give them their medication. Right. He had feces under his nails. The emergency <gasps> room. The emergency room nurses could not believe that he had just been there on the scene. And when they turned, when they changed him, they seen that he had been scratching himself trying to get the feces off of him. Okay. Oh, my God. So I'm so they sorry. Had tape, they had put tape on the diaper so that it wouldn't be overloaded and could not oh. mess up the bed. You know, that's what the that's the trick. We put this diaper on, we put tape around it to make sure that I don't have to change the bed. Oh, that's horrible. And they just didn't expect that I would come in and demand him. He bought as much time as he could telling me what I couldn't do. And when I got to the point where I said, listen, I'm not going to wait any longer. Give him to me now. And why would someone who's been in your lobby for an hour and a half give you two more minutes so that you can change his diaper and you hadn't changed it in I don't know how many days? Why would anybody standing in your lobby give you an opportunity to wipe the coal out of his eyes when it's been sealed shut like glue for days? You know, that's yeah, and 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 your dad being a vet, 
that is so disrespectful. Your father fought for our freedom. He deserves way better than that. We don't treat other human beings like that. We no, don't, we don't. No, no matter no matter who it is. It's, that's right. There, you don't but treat something human veterans. beings like that. Especially, I agree. But I'll tell you one thing. They're going to wish that they were in Vietnam and they were working with the Viet Cong because this is not going to be over until someone goes to jail. And oh, I, agree. I want them to realize that you know, I want to talk to the family members of those individuals whom have died in this facility for the last several months. I want to talk to the patients themselves that transferred from this facility, demanded transfer from this facility, and other facilities that this facility is associated hey, with. Hey, I'm, I'm behind you. I'm behind you 200%. And if there's anything I can do to help you, I'm on board to help you. Well, I want all the help from all of the people that have been abused by these these situations. And, yes, I think you all to be compensated. And if there's anything that we can do to ensure that you get the insurance company of this facility, because why should you be uh, uh, in a motel trying to get well when you had a facility that had been paid to take care of you? Exactly. Falling down, banging Falling my down. head, cutting it exactly. open. And I wonder... I wonder if they did an incident report. I wonder if they did the mandatory incident report of the oh, no. toilet they, they did nothing. I wonder nothing. if they did an incident report about not having water at the bedside. I wonder if they have incident reports of uh, nurses that didn't come in so you were you were uh, uh, understaffed. I want wow. Well, it used to be that you can go get a piece of paper and write it all up and backdated. But now that things are computerized, if it's not written, it didn't no more. happen. Wow. So, no more. Know, I love the new system where they do the charting <laughs> online because now you yeah. have to go in and the, anybody that does forensics will realize that it wasn't done until yesterday. And that's what's going to get you because oh. now you are covering up the crime. Oh. Yeah. That's and good, just though. just because I know that the administrator might be listening and our friends at the VA, uh, it is a felony to lie to the FBI. So yes, if it is. you think that I'm going to come and interview you, I'm not. I have no intentions on coming to interview you. I just like would like to make sure that the information gets to the, the federal right, authorities right. that can investigate fraud. Uh, I said fraud because uh-huh. you are receiving federal money that makes it a federal crime. Oh, and yeah. When Medicare, when Medicare comes in and pays it for that 100 days, they are paying for services, and those services are written out. Right. And when you neglect to do that, but you bill anyway, now you have completed the crime to be prosecuted. And that's what oh, I would love to, I'd love to see the owner of this place prosecuted. He needs oh, to yes. be prosecuted. All of them. I don't think All he even them. lasts very long in prison. Well, most of them are on a yacht hanging out, and uh, they never even see the facility. 
They just wait for their check. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Until they called in to a hearing, until they called in to, to a hearing and asked, uh-huh. tell us about your business. Let us see the medical records. Let us see the billing records. Let us see the charts. See, most people just go away. They're just so happy to have a sustained life. They just go away. But we're right. not going away. We're not going away. Yeah. No, no, that's great. That's, no, that's great. I, I completely yeah. agree with you. I mean, I, I think that it's important that these things are looked at. And, and I think that we need to go also uh, to take a trip to Sacramento and then to Washington to find out why is it that once these companies are investigated and they lose their license or they have complaints in their license, that they can relicense with the same staff, with the oh, yeah. same people yeah. who committed the crime. Oh, uh-huh. You know, why? Everybody from top to bottom should be removed. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you beat a patient, if you stole from a patient, and we know they do that. Of course. You sign a paper when you go in. We're not responsible for the things that we, I mean, uh, that comes up. Steal from you. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's, it's amazing. I asked, I said, where is his dentures? Oh, everything is in the bag that you we seal it up and put it back. Okay, where's his dentures? Where's his glasses? Oh, this is everything we got from the hospital. Really? Okay. Wow. He's a veteran. He can get some more glasses. He can get some more dentures, right? What are you doing? Yeah. Selling the dentures on the black market? What are you doing with dentures? What do you What do you do when they go in and they take their wedding ring off their fingers of these things? Yes, they do that, people. They go in. I if a patient has, uh, if a patient has, that's what they tell you in the beginning. Any good person that is uh, working administration uh, 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 in the administration, when they when they admit, they'll tell you take all their valuables because if you don't, we will. <laughs> yeah, really. Wow. <laughs> whatever you think, whatever you want. <clears throat> And put your name, put putting your name in the clothes and writing your name on it. Oh, please. Yeah, because he went in with slings and came out with none. Right. Listen, let me tell you this. And every once in a while, you'll see a YouTube where someone has brought a teddy bear into a facility that has an eye that's actually a camera. Oh, wow. They take that that camera and they put it on online. Well, you do know that at veteran hospitals, because you can't do any recording. Uh-huh. But guess what, Saint, or what is it, uh, Santa Fe Convalescent? You're mm-hmm. not a federal facility. So a person can record you and disseminate that to the world. Wow. Oh, I wish I'd known that. I would have done that. Well, it's not too late. There's still people there, the the, the Kenyan guy. Oh, I, I could bring him a teddy bear. You can bring him a teddy bear. That's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. So where do we go from here? Let's tell, I, want, I always give my listening audience a job. I want you all to go to uh, YouTube and look up abuses of the elderly uh, in convalescent homes, in nursing homes, look up uh, abused veterans 
in uh, nursing homes. Um, I want you to realize that this is systemic, and this should not be. This should not be. It's unacceptable. And we have to get you to recognize that if we have to go outside the windows with picket signs and saying, okay, if people can go to a bar, if people can go to I a restaurant. I would love to do that. Thank Hamilton, I see my loved one. Okay? If we got to yeah. pick it out, out, out in front of the nursing homes and say, you know, open these doors. I'm like Ronald Reagan. Tear down that wall, Mr. Gorbachev. Tear down that wall. <laughs> I love to see what's going on in these nursing homes. Open up those doors. Open up those doors. Let us see what you all are doing to our senior citizens. And this oh, is yeah, not no, one city. This is nationwide. Anytime oh, people yeah. have been able to black out their windows so they could do what they want to do, they have always, they have always feared the family going back and telling what they see. Now they have a blind public that can't see what they're doing to these yep. loved ones. And many yep. of them, they're, 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 they're now diagnosing them with oh. dementia. They don't have dementia. They've just been mistreated. Shit. What do you want them to do? Exactly. After a while, they're just, they're, they're just beat down. They're just beat down. Yeah, they give up. They give up. They give up. Yeah. Well, my pop was a fighter, and I'm a fighter. And I'm going to tell you one thing. It may be misplaced emotions, but I'm going to keep them still. We have 90 seconds, so we're going to be closing out. I want to thank you both for being guests on the Ombudsman Press Show. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, for listening. We're at the top of the hour, so we're going to go. I appreciate you. Tune in on Monday for the Marvelous Monday Show with Dr. Shirley McKellar and Bishop L.J. Guillory. We'll see you Monday. Bishop, I love you, buddy. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Bishop. Appreciate you. We'll see you. Okay, hon. Thank you so much for everything. Amen. The homeless is still homeless. The poor is still poor. Yet we find billions of dollars to fund senseless war. And yes, we're fighting terrorism. What about the quiet racism? Dividing among ourselves. Somebody's crying for help. Heaven is listening. Heaven is watching. Heaven knows. And they may not play this on the radio. Cause the devil don't want you to know. If we don't stop the hypocrisy, the nation will lose its soul. And rather play music about money and sex. Like we don't have no intellect 